Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. All right, good morning, everybody. Uh, Thanks so much for being here. And if you're online right now, thanks so much for tuning in as well. We're so happy that you're here. Um, And I hope everybody had an incredible Thanksgiving. Um, this, we have so much to be thankful for around here, um, and, and the, you all do as well, right? Now, uh, as Grace just mentioned, we are in this series called Go, and what we've been talking about is what it really means to, to follow God's call, and God has something for us where we need to get off the mark or uh, get off the couch in some, in some instances and move in his direction, and so far we've been looking at some different standout characters in the Bible that uh, God used to do some pretty incredible things. But in each case, God was saying, go. And we can learn a lot by just seeing and looking at how they responded. And this is especially important because just because God says go doesn't mean it's going to be easy, as we explored last week. So this week, we're going to take a look at a guy who he really did not want to go. He really didn't. He had his own plans and he had his own ideas on how to achieve those plans. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever, have you ever had a moment where it kind of felt like you were fighting with God? Maybe, maybe it was a, a sleepless night and it's not because you had too much energy or too much caffeine. It was different, right? It was one of those times when you, you faced a situation or a struggle in your life that was so difficult, so overwhelming, so disturbing, that you could feel it to the core of your soul. You could feel the pain, the uncertainty, the doubt even that comes with that. And it was like you were physically fighting with something or someone. So uh, Grayson is our third child. He is a ball of energy. Um, he is our youngest And before he was born, Stephanie and I went in for a routine checkup. And we found out that he was breech, which means he's upside down. He's coming out the wrong way. And so we set up another appointment to uh, get him flip-flopped, right? You you can do that, apparently. Well, we get to that appointment, which is still a couple weeks before the due date. And surprise, surprise, she's already in labor. And so... Because she's in labor and he's still breech, they send her up immediately to get a C-section. And we hadn't had a C-section yet with our other two children. Um, And this took way longer than it was supposed to, uh, longer than than, uh, we expected. And Stephanie lost a ton of blood. There were complications that I can't even remember at this point. And the whole time, I'm praying. And I have, like, two little girls at home that I have no idea what I'm going to do with. I, I, the love of my life is struggling through this C-section, not even sure what's happening because they kicked me out. Thank God she made it through. And everything was fine until the next day when Grayson, he started having trouble breathing. We found out he has pneumonia and one of his lungs was collapsed. 
And so they immediately took him to the NICU where we couldn't hold him, we couldn't, we couldn't care for him, we couldn't really do anything. We were helpless in that moment. It was awful. And so I'm already on edge from the day before worrying about my wife and now my son is, is in the NICU. And Stephanie then gets released from the hospital and we're having to drive to the hospital day in and day out just to be with him, just to be around him, even though we can't hold him or take care of him. It was awful. And I remember back to those couple days especially, but through that whole ordeal, my prayers were just different. They were just different, like maybe even a little contentious. Like, God, what are you doing? This is not how this was supposed to play out. God, why? These weren't my normal prayers. It was kind of like the, the gloves are coming off, kind of from the gut type of prayer. God, why? And I, I know I'm not the only person in the room who has a story of, of struggle and fight with God, of feeling cut to the core, of life shrinking down to one moment or, or one situation. It's all you can see. It's, it feels like all of a sudden you are in a fight. I know I'm not the only one who's gotten some bad news, like the prognosis isn't good, or I don't want to be married anymore, or we have to let you go. And my question today is, how, how are these moments, these moments of struggle and uh, part of the, the with God life? Because we, we talk often about doing life with God and how that is the best life possible. How are these moments a part of that? Because we live in this tension between what we hope to be true about God and what we experience with pain and loss. And this is not just true for us. I mean, it's on, on almost every single page of the Bible just listen to how the psalmist puts it. This is from Psalm 22. He writes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. And these words are almost 3,000 years old, but I imagine they've been some of your words, and I know they've been some of my words at times. This morning, I want to talk about our God struggles. And I want you to feel permission. This is so important. I want you to feel permission. It's okay for the gloves to come off. God is big enough to handle that. It's okay. And what I want to make really clear right off the bat is I don't have a quick fix for you. I don't have a a simple answer, clean answer to whatever it is you may be struggling with. But maybe that isn't the point anyways. As you'll see on your screen, maybe God is not found in the quick fix. Maybe God is found in the fight. And so as we get started, just a little background to the story we're going to read in Genesis 32. This story is about a man named Jacob. And Jacob is a son of Isaac. He's the grandson of Abraham. And Jacob had a twin brother named Esau, and they weren't identical twins. They were fraternal twins. Um, and technically, Esau was born first, and that's important because that meant that he was in line to receive the, the family inheritance, the family birthright, uh, which that firstborn, that particular son, would receive twice as much as the other siblings. And so there, because there was only two of them, Esau was set to receive two-thirds of the family birthright, the inheritance, where Jacob was only going to get a third. And you may know this, but um, Jacob 
was an interesting guy. He was a schemer. He was a master schemer. I mean, his name literally comes from the, the Hebrew phrase that means at the heel or tripping at the heel. And that's how Jacob lived his life, tripping up other people, tricking someone else to manipulate a situation to get the best out of it for himself. And he tricked his brother out of that birthright. He tricked his father out of giving him that blessing. He tricked his father-in-law out of giving him the best of his flocks. And it comes to the point where he simply runs out of people to manipulate and trick and deceive. And now he's on the run for his life. He had moved away from home, and now he's coming back. And he goes and finds out that Esau, his brother, is come to meet him, but he's not alone. He's come to meet him with 400 men. And you can't underestimate what this would have been like for Jacob. I mean, he's facing his worst fear. Life has now shrunk to this one singular moment, this one singular situation, this circumstance. Everything's at risk. He has no one to turn to, no one to trust. No one trusts him at this point. Right? He's kind of at the end of his rope. He has nowhere to go. And now the gloves come off. And that's where we pick up our story in verse 22. It says, That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. And this is sort of that moment where you're like, well, where Jacob's like, hey, um, Esau's trying to kill me. Hey, Wife and children, why don't you guys go first? See how that goes, <laughs> right? Like, nice guy. Come on, Jacob. So it goes on. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched, and he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let go of me, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? And Jacob, Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him, as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of the hip. And if you know the rest of the story, going from this point forward, Jacob is completely different. He's not the same. It changes his life. I mean, after this, he makes peace with his brother Esau. He lives with more humility and vulnerability and generosity. In a big way, his fight with God was a catalyst for his go. His fight with God was a catalyst for what God wanted him to do. And I, I want to spend a few moments just understanding why. But first, the, the, the first detail that jumps off the page to me, it might be a little bit um, hard to wrap your brain around, but the first thing that jumps out to me is that God starts this fight. Is anybody else a little uncomfortable with that? Like, God starts this fight. Think about it. Jacob is all alone. He's afraid. He has nowhere to go, nowhere to go to, no one to go to. He's at the end of his rope. And this is a moment where we might believe or think that God's going to come kind of gentle and tender and, and, and soft and comforting. But instead, God comes and starts a fight with him. The text says he wrenched Jacob's socket. 
And this injury was so significant, he had this limp for the rest of his life. When the author of Hebrews later uh, mentions Jacob's faith, he also mentions his walking staff. And Tony Evans in his commentary says, it's as if out of all the colorful scenes of Jacob's life, the writer of Hebrews wanted to say, in the end, Jacob was a man who was forced to lean on God. The point is, this would have been painful. This would have been intrusive. It would have been uh, humbling. It, it, ultimately, it would have gotten Jacob's attention. And, and why? Because God has to stop Jacob from scheming. That's how he lived every day of his life, one scheme after another. Even, even the way he talks to God earlier in the chapter and in his prayers, we, we, we see him kind of do this bribe and bargain thing with God where he's like, hey, God, if you do all the things I want you to do and the way I want you to do them, then, then I'll still uh, serve you and I'll continue to serve you. And Jacob gets kind of a bad rap for, for all this scheming and all that. But let's be honest, we're, we're not all that different a lot of times. I mean, we love to scheme and plot and strategize to get the most out of life, to get what's best for us. It's like at the core of human nature. But here's the subtle danger. The danger is we learn to scheme so well, and some of us are so good at it, that we begin to build and secure a life that, that has no real reliance on God. And we begin to believe that this is the best way and the wisest thing to do in the way we should live our life, a life that includes faith, but a lifestyle that doesn't really rely on God at all and has no real dependence on God at all. There's an article that defined a while back uh, that defined a Christian in this way, the average Christian, and this is paraphrasing, but said the average Christian becomes a believer as a child through family or church experience, and the concept of God quickly becomes part of their worldview. But as he or she moves into adulthood, self-reliance and achieving success become the basic motivations of life. Life becomes this strange blend of God-belief and self-sufficiency. And the article closes with this thought that the idea of faith may remain a part of life, but he or she looks no different from the average non-Christian in how everyday life is actually conducted. And many of us, if we're honest, live life this way. And we know that Jacob lived life this way, which is why God starts a fight. He has to remind us that when it comes to your career, when it comes to our family, when it comes to our kids, when it comes to our marriage, your fundamental need is not a better strategy or a better scheme. Your fundamental need is God. That's what he wants to fight about. When we get to the point where we realize our plans aren't going to be enough, when my wife is struggling with this C-section, I can't do anything about it. Whenever my son was in the NICU and I can't do anything about it, my plans, my, my strategies, my, all of the things that I want to do are falling short. That's enough. The sheer terror of that at times is enough to get us to be real with God, for the gloves to come off. C.S. Lewis, he wrote this book called Till We Have Faces. And the, the title of this book kind of refers to this idea that we can't see God's face until we're willing and able to bear our own to him, to show him our own. And the truth is, 
We put a lot of different faces on for God, don't we? We put a lot of different faces on. And then we wonder, why God? Why can't I see your face? So the question is, what, what face is it that you feel like you have to hide from God? What is that true face deep inside that you feel like you have to hide from God? And this is exactly what Jacob's doing. Until he gets to a place when he's wrestling with God, where he finally shows his face. And we see that in what he prays. He says, I will not let you go until you bless me, unless you bless me. And if you're taking notes, or when you get home, this is one of those you put on a note card and put on your mirror or put on the driver or the steering wheel. I will not let you go unless you bless me. It means, for, all right, forget the schemes, forget the plans. I'm sticking with you, God. You have me. I'm not letting go. No matter how long this takes, I'm with you. I'm not letting go until you show up. And that's pretty bold. That's, a, that's an audacious, bold prayer. It means, God, you have me. I'm in this. I'm with you. I'm not going anywhere. But I have to have you. I have to have the God who promised to be faithful. And at the heart of the struggle, this wrestling match, we find a God who doesn't want these light little prayers that just kind of float up to heaven nicely. He wants us wrapped up in him, even if all we want to do is take a swing at him. He is big enough to handle that. Sometimes, and I think a lot of us need to hear this, sometimes the heart of this whole thing, sometimes the heart of faith is just holding on. It's looking at God and maybe not even believing that he's there, but saying, I will not let go. I will hang on. See, our battles, our, our wrestles, they change us. They really do. And let's be honest, Jacob does not come out of this wrestling match un, unscathed. He walks in, but he limps out. And maybe you know this from, from your God struggle. Uh, maybe you uh, experienced some heartbreak and now it's harder to trust, or maybe you've experienced some deep loss, and now it's, it's, it's difficult to find joy. Whatever it might be, our, our battles, we carry those with us, and we have new fears and new challenges to, to work through. But I want you to know that there's also a blessing. Remember, God, God blesses Jacob, and it's an interesting thing because I don't think it's the blessing Jacob was expecting or necessarily wanted at the time or uh, what he what what he thought was going to happen because God gives him a new name. It says your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. You were once a schemer, but now you're the one who perseveres. You were the one that was always trying to plan or to find his way out, but now you're the one that is sticking it out with God. You were the one who always coming up with this new strategy to bless himself, but now you're the one who hangs on to God and says, I will not let you go until you figure out and, how, and you decide how you're going to bless me in this. Do you see that change? He, he wasn't taken out of his circumstance. The circumstance, the situation wasn't made perfect and easier, but God changed him. He was made into a new man in the midst, in the middle of those circumstances. And it's interesting uh, that God's people will now be known not by Abraham, the one who went, or Isaac, the one who blessed, or David, the one who conquered, but they're going to be known as Israel, the one who showed his face to God until 
God, or until he found God's face. The one who hung on. Maybe that's what he's up to in your life, right? Maybe that's what God's up to right now in your wrestling match, in your struggle. Not to make every situation perfect, not to make it easy, but so you can finally see his face. Because that's ultimately what we need. The text says, Jacob called that place a certain name. He called it Peniel, which means the face of God. Because he said, I saw God face to face and my life was spared. And maybe you have this question, kind of interesting. We, we see in other Old Testament stories where you can't see God face to face because he's so powerful, he's so overwhelming. So what is it that Jacob saw there? And, and scholars say we can't know for sure, but it's interesting that the text says he saw a man who came from heaven who was so surprised that we even had to ask his name. And I think that's because we're going to find out his name later in the Bible when this man from heaven comes down into a world of schemers and a world of sinners, and he lives a life all the way to his last sleepless, restless night when the gloves come off, and he says, God, I don't want to do this. Father, I don't want to do this. But it's not what I want to do. It's what you want. In other words, I will not let go. Even though he knew the fear that was coming, even though he knew the pain that was coming, even though he knew better than any one of us, those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think on the cross, we finally see what Jacob only saw a little little bit of. We see the true face of God taking on himself every sin, every, every injustice, every disappointment, so we could spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. So could it be that there's no simple answer to pain? Yeah. There's only his face filled with love and filled with goodness, inviting you to bring your pain to him. And maybe you want to sit for a little bit after the service and and just reflect on that. Maybe you want to take a couple notes on what you're, you're thinking right now. But I want to challenge you in your prayer. Just show your face. God can handle that. Show your face. And have the even greater boldness to say, God, I'm not letting go until you show up. I'm not letting go until you show up. Now, I want to make a quick note of this because we we say this all the time. We want to do life with God because that's the best life possible. Even in struggle, even whenever you're wrestling with God, doing life with God is so much better than doing life without him. Let's pray. God, many of us don't even know what to say sometimes. We, we've gotten so good at not really saying what it is we need to say to you. And so, first and foremost, I just pray for boldness for everybody here that they could show their true face to you, even if it's just to take a swing. Because we know you love us more than we can ever imagine, and you're big enough to handle our questions, our doubts, and even our anger at times. God, we know that you walk through these things with us, no matter what our struggle is, even if we deal with it the rest of our lives like Jacob did. You're with us through it. And life is so much better with you. God, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, everybody, thanks so much for being here this week. And go have some bold prayers and be real with God this week. Thanks.